research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power. Well, school is back. I can hear the distant bell of Park Orchard Elementary, where I attended so many years ago. Uh, and the students are back. Uh, last year, uh, one third of uh, America's students actually went to class full time this year. The number is going to be a lot larger. Uh, I am joined, as always, today uh, by author and vice president of the Government Accountability Institute, Eric Eggers. And unlike me, my kids are all grown. Eric, you actually have three young strapping children who are in school. Yeah, we'll have to talk about your characterization of my children as strapping. But first, <laughs> Park Orchard Elementary, please tell me the uh, the nickname was not the Apples. It was not. Actually, the mascot for the Park Orchard Elementary School outside of Seattle, Washington, where I grew up, we were, believe it or not, the Skunks. <laughs> the Skunks was our actual mascot. That um, that tracks, right? Because it, <laughs> it's a little tougher sounding than Apples, but like not by a lot. Not by a lot. No, That's but all, exactly right. All but your three, kids are in school. And, my and, kids, which are Grizzlies, by the way. Grizzlies. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're all back in, in school. And uh, we're very grateful for that. Very grateful, to be honest that we live in a state like Florida where they were able to go to school last year. Yes, right? that's so right. I think, so we're, I think we don't necessarily appreciate how many people throughout the country that their kids can be back in school right now. It's a unique experience and how many of them had to endure another year of remote learning. You noted a third of the kids last year were fully in person, 35%. Another 21% were hybrid, but up, up to 48% of kids went remote learning last year. So it's a fundamental shift in what the landscape of education in this country looked like last year. Obviously, there was a pandemic, but unfortunately, like a lot of things with pandemic, there's some politics involved as well. That's exactly right. And we're going to talk about that today. I mean, there's a lot to unpack as it relates to schools being at, uh, back open, issues related to children's learning, children's safety, children's the psychology that they had with all the isolation. We're going to talk today about the process of the schools being opened and focusing on how the decisions were actually made and influenced. Now, in a perfect world, we would want to say, well, this was a decision made by parents talking to health officials, right? They just sat down and said, well, little Johnny really needs to go to school. And health officials said, well, here's how to do it safely. But we want to focus today not on parents and, and health officials who deserve a seat at that table, but the role played by teachers unions. And I was actually sh uh, shocked about this as, as the research was presented to us, Eric, because the teachers unions played a massive role in uh, how schools reopened, why they were shut down in the first place. Uh, and it's a story that very few people have focused on, but I think is absolutely necessary to understand how decisions are like this that are so fundamental are being made in America today. 
No, I think that's exactly right. I think what we did was ask the question, say, wait a minute, you know, obviously Florida, because of Governor DeSantis and uh, the education commissioner, they made some decrees which ensured that schools stayed open. That there's actually 13 states as of last fall that said, no, no, schools will be open, right? Yeah, but yeah. I think the fact that states had to say schools are ordered to be open speaks to the fact that there were these forces, right, political and otherwise, that said if it was up to us, we wouldn't be having school. And so the question becomes, how could things like bars, restaurants, marijuana shops be open, <laughs> but schools wouldn't be. Right. And I think, unfortunately, it speaks to the political power and the political inclination of groups like these teachers unions. And so I think what we want to say, well, how do these groups get to be so powerful? And why is it that when they snap their fingers, entire states and yeah. now presidential administrations seem to be very responsive? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and uh, here's what's so surprising to me about this is Teachers unions are making decisions about health, about, you know, that are going to affect the emotional health, the physical health of kids. Teachers unions are doing that. They, of course, have no medical medical background, but anything else they've been involved in, they've done a lousy job with. I mean, does anybody really want to contend that teachers unions have improved education in America? But what we're doing now is we're rewarding them by giving them a seat at the table when it comes to health issues. And what's interesting about this to me, Eric, is I love history. I'm fascinated by history is we're in a really weird spot, because if you look back at American history, the vast majority of our national leaders recognize the idea of teachers being unionized is a terrible idea. Uh, for example, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Now, this is somebody, not exactly a conservative stalwart. That's exactly right. Not an anti-union guy, right. uh, per se. Uh, but he had a massive problem with public employee unions, including teachers. He thought it was a terrible idea for them to be unionized. Um, he wrote that the process of collective bargaining had, quote, insurmountable limitations when applied to public personnel management. That included all public employees. And the reason he, he thought it was a terrible idea was that it was insurmountable because when you negotiate, when the government is negotiating with government employee unions, there's no representation of the actual people, the taxpayers at the table. Uh, in other words, in this case, as applied to schools, the parents who are the people in, are, are the supposed boss, right? They're the taxpayers who are funding the educational system. They actually have no seat at the table. Uh, they're uh, not sitting at the table. They are the meal, right, as they say. Um, and the founders of the labor movement in themselves didn't think that the idea of government unions was a good idea because they conceived that government workers – uh, didn't generate profits. I mean, the initial idea behind unions was the owners are making all of this money, uh, the employees are not. So we want to, you know, spread the wealth. Right. Well, of course, in the government context with schools, they're not actually turning a profit, <laughs> right? So they're not sharing anything, and that's why FDR considered uh, government unions as quote unthinkable and intolerable. And yet here we are today. Well, I want to be very clear. I think part of the reason why Florida hasn't felt like. A, Florida schools are open, in my opinion, because the teachers unions aren't effective and aren't powerful. And the reason why right. they aren't effective or powerful is because Jeb Bush essentially gutted the teachers unions political power back in the early 2000s. The teachers unions actually ran a candidate almost explicitly 
backed by the unions. It was, you know, it was an interesting thing. They passed a class size amendment that said, okay, class sizes can only be so big, but their candidate, a guy named Bill McBride, lost rather soundly to no, Jeb Bush. Yeah. Right, yeah. But so because of Jeb's defeat of the teachers' unions, that's why they're not overly influential today. And to be honest, I think that's why schools are open. And I'm, you know, as a parent of three kids, I'm glad for it. But you're exactly right. And I think what one of the things that you noted and we'll discuss is is that the unions as their position you know as an example of their influence as their position on what school opening needs to look like evolved <laughs> so did official policy on yeah. what it looks like to have schools open yeah now this is very interesting as we were discussing about this and i'd forgotten some of this but uh the unions um really moved the goalposts yeah. repeatedly as to what it would take to open schools um you know at first it was going to be there was going to be no school uh without a vaccine then it was no school without teachers being vaccinated. Then it was no school until students were vaccinated. Uh, and then it was no school until we had vaccines for everyone and masks. And so the question is, Eric, why do the unions themselves even have a seat at the table? Uh, give us I'm, I'm going to take a shot here and say it's money. Do you think that's the issue? Well, look, you know, I'm, I'm no I'm no stranger to try to curry influence with teachers. Right. I mean, it's gone from, you know, back in the day, you could give an apple and put it on the teacher's yeah. desk. Oh, yeah. Today, you can actually buy things off the teacher's Amazon wish list <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, the teacher's a new that, car. If a teacher ends up with an illness, you can donate to the GoFundMe. I mean, there's right. lots of ways to make right. sure your kids set up for right. success. Right. And you're suggesting that that might influence certain teachers. I'm saying I'm not above that at all. Right. I've done that on. <laughs> numerous occasions I, I bet you have like i will buy everything on that teacher's wish list if it gets my kid you know into the gifted class or whatever no but uh but like so we as parents of course like hey you're trying to get attention you know how to curry favor there's an association with favor and money and the unions know that um and they have definitely put some money where their collective mouths is they gave democrats 43 million in 2020 in political donations wow. right like wow and so uh, you know joe biden was the biggest recipient of that second biggest recipient of teachers union donations yeah Bernie Sanders. Oh, yes, of course, of course. And so, you know, the bottom line is we hear discussions all the time about the role that that, that big oil or Wall Street or big tech play on influence on political process. Those are all legitimate issues and debates to have. But nobody wants to talk about big teacher unions. And yet the amount of money they throw at these elections is enormous. And that's precisely why they have a seat at the table, not because of merit, not because they have some unique insight into uh, the health situation in schools, it's because they have funded the politicians who happen to win these elections. And by the way, that's true at the federal level, obviously, with the Biden administration, yeah. but it's even more true at the state and local level. Oftentimes, these decisions are made, you know, some the governor has a role to play, right? Yeah. But the decisions are often made at the local level, the school board level. And so, the, you know, people have just realized in the COVID era how important school board meetings are and they started right. paying attention. But the teachers unions have largely been, and you talk to anybody that's involved with like charter schools, and I'll tell you this all the time, yeah. because charter school decisions get made by the school board members. And they say, no, the reason why we don't get charter school stuff passed is because the unions so consistently argue and advocate against it. And they're the largest donors, right, of political manpower and political funds at the school board level. So that unions have long had an outsized political influence in the education process. And I think 
because of the COVID era, the stakes have been raised so high, people are realizing just how important they are. That's right. And these unions are not elected. Uh, parents and, and, and citizens don't get to vote on them, but they have a seat at the table because of this political power. And I think on some level, like, hey, cool. Yeah, teachers unions should be important. You should advocate for things like increased teacher pay, right? Like better conditions for teachers. Like I got no problem with that, right? Yeah. Hey, do we want this test versus this test? We think this test has better outcomes. That's fine. I think there's a point to be made about the more outsized the political influence of teachers unions coinciding with the decline of general educational output in the United States. Right? <laughs> right no, really. Right. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, the United States now is like the, between the 20th and 25th best education system in the world. Right. Right. Meanwhile, the political unions are advocating for things that don't seem to be overtly related to educational outcomes. Yep. Yep. They're taking their eye off the ball. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But just to focus on this reopening question, so central to this was the the, the question of vaccines, yep. right? This was something that began uh, during the last year of the Trump administration. Uh, you had the Operation Warp Speed to accelerate uh, uh, the uh, vaccines. Now, it's interesting when you look at, at the position of, say, the American Federation of Teachers and how they even politicized vaccines. This is the thing to me that's so appalling. It's how they politicized it. So, for example, during the Trump administration, uh, Randy Weingarten, the president of the uh, American Federation of Teaching, called for safety strikes to oppose school reopenings. Um, and she wanted massive new government spending to make sure that schools were, quote unquote, safe. But they actually passed a resolution, one of the, quote, essential principles for COVID-19 vaccine in 2020. Now, Trump is president. And here's what they said. Whereas in order to ensure the safety and efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccine and the public's trust in it, it is essential that any possible vaccine successfully complete all of the steps of the Food and Drug Administration's normal, rigorous testing and review process. And it goes on and on and on. So their position was, do not accelerate, uh, do not um, give special uh, uh, you know, dispensation to this vaccine. It should follow the normal FDA process. Now, I'm going to ask you, Eric, what happened after Trump was replaced by Joe Biden. What did the American Federation Federation of Teachers suddenly say about the vaccine? Oh, they weren't so super interested in slow walking the old <laughs> vaccine anymore. No, they actually pushed for a back to school for all initiative, which included COVID vaccine, uh, COVID vaccine clinics. They offered school supplies, gift cards. I mean, basically, they became in the business of selling vaccine incentives and vaccine propaganda, which, hey, I get that. But it is interesting to see that. I mean, it's all about incentive structure. It definitely seemed like under Trump, what, what happens is when unions become an arm of a Democratic Party, right, then their actions stop being interpreted charitably in terms of, hey, they're advocating for teachers, they're advocating right. for kids. They were advocating for a political candidate. Yeah, they wanted chaos. Right. In, in 2020, they wanted to pretend that uh, a vaccine wasn't going to be possible. It was years away. Even if we had one come, it would be experimental and we just it would be years and years away. Suddenly, Joe Biden, a person they helped elect, a person that they gave some $43 million to, is in the White House, who's going to give them all kinds of goodies. Now, suddenly, they're on board. This demonstrates how politicized it became. And the whole issue of the opening, not reopening, was also part of this as well. Let me just read this quote um, from the National Director of Research of the American Federation of Children, as opposed to teachers. Uh, and they explained this whole strategy this way, quote, teachers unions benefit from this back and forth reopening chaos because they can leverage the state of disorder to lobby for even more resources from taxpayers to return to normalcy. Uh, she called these, quote, ransom payments from taxpayers. No, it's absolutely true. You talk to anybody that's involved at the school board level, 
uh, and they will tell you that's exactly what they've experienced in real time and in the real world at the various local school districts. So it's unfortunate, right? I mean, I remember, you remember Michelle Ree? Yeah. So she was, you know, Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. was the chancellor of education there. You know, they had the deal where they were going to offer teachers because one of the teachers unions positions back then was, hey, we want more money. So they said, all right, fine. Teachers, we'll pay you $75,000 a year to be a teacher. All you have to do is give up your tenure status, right? Just say, hey, we'll pay you 75 grand and you have to just not be tenured, meaning like you can be subject to free market principles like anybody else in any other type of employment. And the union overwhelmingly rejected it, right? So that's been, I think, one of the challenges is the union, once they started becoming this political player, they became more interested in consolidating their political power at the expense, unfortunately, of a lot of the members they represent. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because, you know, the, the, the question has always been, do the does the union leadership actually represent all the rank and file members? Right. You end up in the uh, in the NEA or the American Federation teachers kind of uh, automatically. Right. And you can opt out. Uh, but the point is, is that that the leadership tends to be much more radical, much more political than rank and file teachers. So we have the situation where the reopenings are are in question. The American Federation of Teachers certainly, by their own actions, are politicizing the process. Uh, We know that they're manipulating the question of reopenings to leverage, to create disorder, to get more uh, resources for themselves. And then it comes out that the American Federation of Teachers is actually helping the Centers for Disease Control write the guidelines for school reopenings. I mean, Randy Weingarten you know, paging Dr. Randy. I mean, she's actually involved. They are a quote unquote, a thought partner. I love that phrase, a thought partner. Um, there were also, uh, uh, leaks that came out through the freedom of information act where the American Federation teachers and the national education association actually influenced the CDC with their own quote, embargoed vaccine research. So now these teachers unions are claiming to do research on vaccines. Good idea, Eric. Uh, not for parents, not for kids. And especially, I think that's what's frustrating too, is at this point, by spring of 2020, that or by spring of 2021, you know, the data was out there in terms of like how big of a threat was COVID to children at a certain age right now. Obviously, in the Delta era, people have different opinions and think that that's adjusted some, but they knew it was safe, right? I mean, that, yeah. then the school districts that were open, mountains of data right. supporting the, that, the idea that it is possible for it to be in schools. But the CDC, at the behest of the AFT, right, continued to suggest that it wasn't. And Jake Tapper famously got into it with uh, Rachel Walensky and said, well, wait a minute, according to your own guidance here, you know, it's not safe to open up schools in these red zones. 99% of the country would be a place where it wouldn't be safe to open up. It's a big, zo- it's big, a big red zone. So how do you explain the places where <laughs> the schools are open, right. right, with none of these detrimental outcomes you're allegedly warning against? And I think, look, you want to trace back to why are people hesitant on a variety of fronts to do things the CDC or some of these other health expert organizations tell us to do. It's because you look at stuff like that. Right. And say that just doesn't make any sense. Right. Right. And it, and it, it rips the, the, the mask off the notion that this is quote, follow the science, right? It's follow the political science. It's follow the teachers unions. It's follow the interest groups. They have a seat at the table. The American Federation of teachers, by the way, according to these emails that came out through FOIA, 
um, allow them to rewrite the policy to include options, quote, for telework, virtual teaching opportunities, modified job responsibilities, environmental modifications, scheduling flexibility, or temporary reassignment to different job responsibilities. And it's a tough one, right? I mean, I, we have all have friends that are teachers. Yeah. Um, one of my best friends was a teacher of the year at a middle school here in town. And those teachers that, that went to school every day yeah. and in un, incredibly challenging conditions, conditions that were evolving, trying to do this hybrid work where you're teaching the kids in the classroom yeah. while also the kids on the laptops. I mean, it's really, really tough, right? Yeah. So that, I mean, hats off to the teachers that went in there and did the work and did the job every day. Meanwhile, you had union leadership and people trying to say, well, no, it's, you know, keeping people from having to do it. I mean, it became the thing like, wait a minute, if people are, have to go to work to the grocery store to sell us food. Right. Right. Uh, How is education, ed- educating our kids, not an essential service? Correct. My, my wife teaches at a private school. Yeah. Uh, they did not close. Uh, they wore masks. They were in tight, uh, uh, cramped quarters. Uh, you know, she did not uh, get sick, thank goodness. Um, and, and you know, generally in Florida, the experience was quite good. I mean, there were some outbreaks where kids tested positive, but I think the emotional lift that kids got from being uh, open in Florida was absolutely enormous. So the unions have politicized the reopening process. School is back open, but but they have a seat at the table. And I'll just pause and say one more thing. I don't think we fully realize the detrimental impact having schools closed will have on our collective education level for years to come, right? Yeah. Because I think, you know, we saw even in the spring of 2020, there's a couple months when schools were closed, everybody's freaking out, trying to figure out what does it look like to have school open and parents were now in charge of education of the kids. You see the amount of education that's happening, but you also see the amount of education that's not happening. Right. Right. And then so for many areas of the country, that extended for another additional year. Right. And so you've got whatever was already a declining performance level in terms of U.S. education, that's only going to have been exacerbated. Meanwhile, you now see some of the stuff, and we're not even talking about the CRT, but you're now seeing some of the stuff with these teachers union leaders saying like, well, it's okay if they can't add and subtract. (laughs) It's only school. As long as they know kind of some of these social justice uh, theorems, right? Like that's really what's more important. And if that's true, I'm telling you, like, it's not a good thing for the U.S. education system. No, it's not. It's not. And let's be crystal clear about this. I mean, I, I know uh, you and I know your wife and uh, your kids. Was um, that? No. <laughs> what, no, what, the, what that means is, is if if you were in a situation where the schools were shut down, you were not living in Florida. Yeah. I know both of you are a very engaged, very involved in your kids. You both have good educations. The point is, is you could try to cope and deal with it. Think about the single mom who has two kids who is going to work to at the grocery store right. to put food on the table if if her school is shut down the point is, is that these shutdowns affect not affluence um, uh, you know, two-parent homes, they affect primarily people that are poor, people that are single parents, that don't have the bandwidth, the capability, the energy, whatever you want to call it, to actually help their kids through the pandemic where they're not able to go to school. So they are going to fall further behind. Right. Uh, and yet nobody wants to have that conversation. Well, that's kind and charitable. I will say that I think it would impact our two-parent household also, because I'd be like, I'd be on my phone, I'd be like, hey, do the worksheet, and once that's done, we'll put on a Disney Plus movie, kid, you know? (laughs) 
Can you add? I don't. Can you add up to Ariel three? Like how many sequels are there to Lone Ranger? That's the math for today. So uh, we we're talking about the reunion, uh, about the reopenings. Yep. We're talking about um, how the process has been politicized. But the unions, uh, and I think this is another part of the problem, is they've been increasingly less focused on actual education, mm-hmm. on quote unquote improving the schools from their perspective, and they've become more political. And of course, they've done such a masterful job in our schools with the quality of education, they now want to influence uh, everything else. So I want you to read this, this 2020, one of the resolutions they passed in 2020. This is the American Federation of Teachers uh, waxing lyrical on how we need to fix uh, America. Well, and and explain what, what you mean by resolutions. Yeah. So these are passed by the American Federation of Teachers to say, this is our objective. This is our focus. This is where we want to go next. Right. So these are the things that the, the unions are holding up as these, you know, kind of core principles and things right. that they believe. So one of the resolutions they passed in 2020, while everything else is happening, COVID's impacting schools, you know, everything else happening in the world says, whereas the Department of Defense (laughs) is the largest single emitter of greenhouse gases on the planet. And the AFT has repeatedly endorsed the principle of reducing military spending, except for veterans benefits, and using the money saved to create millions of jobs in a peaceful green economy, including in transitioning many weapons production jobs to peacetime production jobs. And this was done in support of the Green New Deal. So you now have, and we, everybody knows that the CRT stuff is sort of creeping into classrooms throughout yep. the nation. Yep. And I think one of the things that by taking them at their word and looking at their own resolutions, what right. you find is the CRT is one of a litany of far left political positions right. that the teachers unions are espousing right. as just like, no, common kind of closely held beliefs. Yeah. So now Randy Weingartner is not only a scientist that's advising the CDC on reopening policy. She is now apparently a defense analyst. She's describing uh, what our defense budget needs to be. And an environmental expert. And an environmental expert. Um, and the Department of Defense, apparently the greenhouse gases, they need to stop flying planes and driving tanks, that sort of thing. They also passed a resolution uh, to defund the police, whereas police brutality against black and brown persons in the U.S. is a manifestation of continual persistent and pervasive white supremacy the resolution begins and goes on and on and on again they are now suddenly experts on uh policing uh and and how we should deal with crime uh this is a a classic example of mission creep you find this with politicians and government institutions all the time they do a lousy job of what their core uh responsibility is so what do they do they create another shiny object over here to distract your attention and that is what what Randy Weingarten is doing. No, we can't save the schools, but we're going to save the planet and we're going to save America. It's really troubling because, you know, you don't pay me enough to send my kids to a fancy private school. So my kids go to public school <laughs> and, you know, I believe in public school. I went to public school. I wasn't a skunk, but, you know, I did, uh, you know, I will proudly, no skill. <laughs> I will proudly hold up my, uh, all the many public schools I went to. Hey, you don't want us to lift our tails, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but I think, you know, if we're going to have any sort of hope as a country, yeah. like we're already so divided, right? Yeah. Imagine what happens when people realize that what, if public schools become these breeding grounds at the at the behest of political arm of the Democratic Party teachers unions, and they're just espousing all this like far left propaganda and the education outcomes continue to decline. Yeah. Like you can't blame people for pulling their kids out of public school. And we're seeing that homeschooling's taking off. 11% of people were homeschooled in 2020. And, and that's not, not even being in a remote learning environment. And so I think 
as COVID has made people adjust to this new normal and people realize that these are the kind of things that are being taught in the classroom, I'm concerned that fewer and fewer people will be in the public schools, which I get, hey man, everybody's got a chance to do it, but I just feel like that's going to, we're going to even have less in common yeah. and we'll, we'll be even more fractured as a society. That's right. That's right. They're, they're, they're sowing division. They're encouraging division. They're not encouraging unity yeah. uh, and they're not focused on their core responsibility. Um, and you're right. As you said earlier, the U.S. educational system ranks 20 to 25th in the world. I would imagine in some areas, uh, places like Chicago and New York, they are way down the list. You know, it's crazy. You know, we are number one in though. What? And this is from this documentary, Waiting for Superman, which I highly recommend. It came out you know, probably 15 years ago. Yeah. We're like 20 to 25th in performance and outcomes. Yeah. We're number one in confidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's because we're going to save the planet, right? We're going to do all these wonderful things. Yeah, confidence uh, confidence is not necessarily a good thing when you're when you're uh, ranked twenty. Well, or 25th well, in let the, the world. unions get in charge of the classroom, right? We'll start getting some things about how white men are bad and everything else. That confidence will go down a little bit. <laughs> exactly. I was confident. I found out I'm causing global warming. Yep. You know. Yep. Well, school is back. I'm a product of uh, public schools. You are as well. But people are increasingly seeking alternatives. Charter schools, private schools, as you said, homeschooling has basically doubled uh, in the last 20 years. Um, and that's where the future seems to lie. People yeah. are increasingly abandoning the public school system. The good news is we don't have a uniformly bad public school system. There are some good public schools out there. But as the unions try to nationalize these issues and they they you know, push this idea of equity, their solution to equity is not necessarily to rise up the bad schools. It's to tear down the good schools because that's the easiest way to make them equal. The more the unions advocate for adults at the expense of kids, I think it augurs very poor things for the future of American education. Well, on that note, on that optimistic note, uh, we're going to sign off. This is Peter Schweitzer. Uh, I've been joined by Eric Eggers, as always, on The Drill Down, uh, where we expose relentlessly the <laughs> corruption and cronyism uh, that is so pervasive in our country. If you're interested in learning more, you can go to our website, thedrilldown.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.